You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare that the pros love, L.A. Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size Intense Therapy Lip Balm SPF 25 in Natural Mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. Welcome back, Kings fans. I'm Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. David Poulin, hockey analyst for TSN, joined me a few weeks ago to talk about the signing of Philippe Deneau. If you haven't already listened to our conversation with Philippe Deneau himself, I recommend you go do that as well. But I wanted to share David's thoughts on the newly signed center and what we can expect from him in a Kings jersey. Joining me now, TSN hockey analyst, former NHL player Dave Poulin. How are you doing today, Dave? Doing very well. A bright, sunny day here in early August in Toronto and uh, in and a moment of, I guess, relaxation for the first time in what seems like a really long time, Jesse. It is, although uh, it came a little bit later than usual, um, as you and I were chatting about these these two seasons have sort of uh, mashed together and we've been pushed into August, as you say. But we're here to talk about Philip Deneau and the Kings signing of him to that uh, six year, pretty big contract. So. Before we get to uh, what kind of player he is on the ice and what kind of impact he might have on the Kings, I'm curious in your experience, um, how much time you've spent talking to him face to face, how much experience you have dealing with him personally, if any, and uh, and what your read on him as as a dude is. Yeah, not a lot of time face to face, particularly in the last couple of years. Sure. Um, you know, so I've been broadcasting Montreal games for four seasons now. And so interaction along the way, um, locker room stuff in, in scrums, but not a lot of one-on-one time. And, and a large part of that is my own schedule because I still split between Toronto and Montreal. So a lot of times I'm in just the day of the game to Montreal or wherever they're playing to do that side of it. So it's as much availability from my standpoint as there's anything, but from every indication that I get from the people who work with him on a day-to-day basis. I mean, this is, this is a, you know, a really, really class individual handles himself really well, a pro in every respect. And you can see that come out on the ice. I think that's pretty evident in, in how he plays the game, the professionalism, the attention to details, um, the consistency of it. And, you know, I have, a special place for him maybe in my own mind, in my own game, because he plays similar to the way I played. And even in the, in the way the roles were developed for him, he had a much higher pedigree coming in as a first round draft pick to the Blackhawks, but just the way his game developed, what was asked of him on a night to night basis. I saw a lot of my own sort of career path in what has taken place with Philip. Let's talk about on the ice impact. There was a moment in uh, in Rob Blake's media availability after the signing where uh, somebody pointed out, uh, or maybe they didn't point out, maybe they just sort of hinted at the fact that uh, Deneau does not score a ton of goals. 
And the idea was sort of presented that no would be second line center, presumably heading into this season. And so the question was, you know, will you rely on him to score, um, to score? And, and Rob Blake emphasized, uh, yes, he'll score a lot of points, drawing a, a clear distinction between points and goals. And, you know, reminded everybody that there's more, more than one way to contribute to a team's offense. So just looking at, you know, Deneau's uh, resume here, never scores more than 13 goals in a season, but has multiple seasons of more than 40 points. So is is the idea that Deneau can't contribute offensively? Is that I mean, where does that come from? Why does that persist? Why why has that become the elephant in the room? And is it true? Well, it was magnified this year because he went through exceptionally long stretches of play without scoring, but was playing so well defensively that it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And you had the emergence of a couple of young centermen and, and Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Nick Suzuki in Montreal. And here's what I would say to that, Jesse. You know, if I look at in my career, early in my career, I was a top line center for Philadelphia. And I was on the first line with Brian Propp and Tim Kerr. And if you look at the kind of the curve of my career, you know, I scored points in my early years. And guess what? I was miscast as a number one center. I simply wasn't a number one center. I was the best option at the time for Philadelphia. And I remember when we lost in the finals that first year in 84, 85, thinking to myself, their second line center is a guy named Mark Messier. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, just to not being ridiculously humble or anything, but if I'm our first line center and he's their second line center, that, that means we're not good enough to win. Right. That's just fact. And I think Philippe Deneau maybe outstretched himself a little bit offensively and, and became their number one center because there were no other options in Montreal. You know, he was a second leading scorer on the team. He was the fourth leading scorer on the team. And that meant they didn't have enough offense to win. And I always looked at him as a perfect, perfect third line center. Now, can he step up and play in a second line role for short periods of time? Of course he can. And if you look at right now, I mean, there's a couple of young kids that are coming in the LA organization who very well will fill that, you know, second line center, Danger Kopitar, you know, in a, in a kid like Quentin Byfield or maybe Alex Turcotte. And there might be other choices available because there's a real, I think, a real strong cast of young players. But as a placeholder for a year, yeah, I, I think he can be. And a large part of it will be who he's playing with. You know, when he was playing with Brendan Gallagher and uh, Thomas Tatar, you would you would say about all of them, they were all a little bit miscast as top-line players. Tatar, the best offensively. Um, Gallagher, on a perfect world, is a third-line player. Maybe high second, but arguably third-line player. So the three of them together sort of formed a similar thought process. And what I can tell you he is he has a really good short game. And in tight places in the zone, when they were at their best, they were a combination of five-foot passes. So on the cycle offensively, they were very, very strong. And and it was more evident this year in, in Montreal because they didn't have a lot of that. They were more of a rush team and scored more off their rush chances. So I think from a standpoint of being – a second line center to start things off with. He'd be very comfortable with that, you know, and, and he's had a, well, over the last couple of years before this one, he averaged 50 points a year, mm-hmm. you know, which is, it's no slouch. And, and I, I'm going to steal a little bit of my, my peer Ray Ferraro's line. And he <laughs> uses it about, 
um, uh, uh, you know, about a Jacques Lemaire comment and said, there's a plus and minus to a good centerman. So I can call you a 40 goal scorer if you get 15 and prevent 25, like really glaringly prevent 25 goals. Well, what does a good defensive center do? Like Philippe Dano, what, where is his metric and how does it measure? And I think that's a great way to put it because you have to look at both sides of the equation. You know, he's been in the conversation, I believe top five or top six for Selkie in the last couple of years. He gets all the tough starts on that team. He gets all the defensive zone faceoffs. He gets all the penalty kill defensive zone faceoffs. He's a real strong faceoff guy. And, and he's comfortable with his own game. You know, everybody wants to score more, but I think his comfort with his own game is going to be a big factor in this. Let's talk about consistency. Um, because, uh, you know, as a Kings fan and uh, now as a Kings employee and, and being interested in this acquisition and, and, sort of subconsciously wanting it to be the right move and so therefore wanting to defend it. Um, you know, I read all this stuff and I hear all this stuff and I go, okay, Philip Deneau is a fantastic defensive centerman. He shuts down offense. He suppresses scoring chances, all of this. Um, and I look and he scores points too. And I go, okay, this is fantastic. They've gotten themselves a great player. So last season in the playoffs, he sort of, you know, um, I think a lot of, you know, people who pay attention were perfectly aware, well aware of who he was, but he makes this amazing story for himself by being this incredible defensive player on this run that Montreal makes. Um, has he always been that player? Do you think he can maintain that level of play or was this an incredible peak in, in his, you know, is he like a, a goalie that got hot for an incredible playoff run? No, I, I don't think that at all. I mean, I saw him a lot of, you know, February nights when he was every bit the same player that he was through the playoffs mm -hmm. and, and maybe magnified because he didn't, you know, have the goals, but here's the question I would pose right back to you. Um, how did his team do in the playoffs? <laughs> Quite well. And, you know, they were the second best team in the NHL through the playoffs. And, you know, and you could argue that, well, you know, certainly Toronto has way better players than Philippe Dano. Well, they beat Toronto. Well, Winnipeg certainly has more prolific scores up front. Well, they beat Winnipeg. They swept Winnipeg. Um, you know, and then and then against Vegas, you'd say, well, Vegas, you know, the mighty team in the West that's grown out of nowhere and has all these high-profile players and, you know, has made all these moves. Well, they beat Vegas. And in each of those three series, he was an absolutely critical part of the team. So I measure individual success much more in team success boundaries i just do I, you know I, i'd way rather be a 20 point score on a championship team than a 80 point scorer on a team that doesn't make the playoffs and so i think with philippe dano you have an ingredient <clears throat> and once again i'm going to refer to the youth that's coming in that organization and you know so you want to teach a defensive responsibility to some of your young players and that starts in the minor league, certainly in Ontario with the rain. And, but it also starts through assimilation, maybe the best way to put it, to watching and learning from other players that you're playing with. And if I'm watching Philippe Dano on a night to night basis, as I have done closely for the last four years, um, I'm watching from someone I can learn from and someone that I can get better watching. You just touched on one of my favorite curiosities, um, and that's the notion of mentorship. Um, we just uh, spoke to Thomas Drance from The Athletic about Alex Edler, and I brought this up, and I said, you know, every time a veteran player, 
joins the team or every time a, a younger player and an inexperienced player joins the team, the conversation of mentorship comes up. So, oh, Quentin Byfield will be mentored by Andre Kopitar. Brant Clark will be mentored by Drew Doughty. And I, there's always a voice in the back of my head that says, but will they? You know, I'm not sure. Just because two guys share a locker space and share you know, a team doesn't mean that there's necessarily that relationship for him. And it doesn't necessarily mean that every veteran wants to play that role in every young player's career. So um, I'm curious from your own experience as a former player, how, how much that relationship actually does happen between younger players and older players. And do you think that Deneau is the kind of player to engage in that kind of relationship? Well, I'll start with your last question and my answer is yes I do think Philippe Deneau is that kind of person Mm -hmm. but it's a two-way street and you don't just bring an older player into the locker room if he can't still play and and I think that's critical you have to be able to play to be an effective mentor but when I say it's a two-way street there's got to be an acceptance of mentorship too Mm -hmm. and it doesn't just happen it's trust it's an ability to build a relationship and you know, I can't tell you how spoiled I was in my career <laughs> in such an unexpected mentor of Bobby Clark. I mean, you know, I joined the team late in the season, coming back from Europe after four years in college and then a year in Europe. I was undrafted and I played five games, two regular season games and three playoff games, and we got upset by the New York Rangers. And Bobby Clark, in the weirdest set of circumstances, invited me to work out with him and train with him that summer. And it's just a strange, strange story. And what he saw in me, he hadn't said a lot to me in those five games or had any reason to. And it was a really veteran-laden team, Bill Barber, Daryl Sittler, Rick McLeish. You know, it was kind of the tail end of the Broad Street Bullies. And his mentorship over that summer and through the full season that we played together would be one of the absolute pillars of my career. Mm. Like without a question, what he did for me, and 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 this may sound weird, but I was his roommate as well. And and I have a real beef with the fact that after three years in the NHL, you get your own room. Because <laughs> after the because because I think some of the most valuable conversations are had between players late at night, you know, um after the TV's turned off not planned, not a formal meeting, not in a locker room when, you know, truth really comes out. And what Clarky did for me was give me a base of confidence that I could have never have any reason to have for myself. And so I am a huge, huge believer in it. And and I would hope that if you were to talk to some, you know, of the young players that I played with, Guys like Rick Tockett, um, guys like Stephen Hines, who had a brief appearance in the, you know a few years in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like, yeah, um, guys like Steve Conowalchuk in Washington, and just the young players that will come back now and tell me, you know, and maybe even unbeknownst to me at the time that I had a real impact on them in how they did things and what they do, and you know, and even as a coach at Notre Dame, John Robleski was a player for me that I had for four years. And I'm a huge, huge fan of that young man and what he'll do to develop players in Ontario for you guys. But I think it's a huge fact. And it's not something that comes totally naturally. And sometimes it takes time. And and maybe you think, oh, he's going to be a a mentor to Quentin Byfield. And Philippe Dano may be a mentor to a young defenseman in a totally different manner. And in something that just 
you know, you've, you've got to have it in the room, but they've got to be able to play. You can't just, if you had an older player who can no longer play at the top of his game or, or, you know, at a high level in the NHL, then essentially you've added an assistant coach in the locker room <laughs> because that's what he is. And then that, you know, and, and that's not the same thing. So we've talked about the relationship uh, he may or may not have with the younger players. Let's talk about the older players because another uh, phrase that I keep hearing repeated is the the notion that uh, Deneau will come in, spell Andre Kopitar from a ton of defensive zone faceoffs, you know, tough matchup responsibilities, maybe take some time away from him on the penalty kill, and that just lightening that load off of Kopitar's shoulders might increase Kopitar's production or lengthen his career or, or the effectiveness of his career, however you want to say it. Um, is that the kind of impact a player like Deneau can have on players above him in the lineup? Absolutely. Because it, it, let me give it to you through the perspective of a coach. Mm-hmm. You're the coach on the bench and you look down the bench and you've got a huge defensive zone face off and you see Andre Kopitar. You know he's the best offensive player. You know he just came off the ice. You're putting him on the ice. Mm-hmm. You are. And the more critical situation, the more you're putting him on the ice. And 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 I laugh because I, I coached for 10 years, albeit at the NCAA level. And you lose players on the bench. Why do you lose players? Because you play players that you like. <laughs> and and you see nameplates and numbers. And it seems like like if I have 2020 vision, well, when I'm looking at some players, my vision's not quite 2020. And when I'm looking at others, it's glaringly like it's like they're in a spotlight jumping out at me. And how are you not putting Kopitar out to take a big defensive zone face off, you know, to the left of your goaltender? Well, guess what? The reason you're not now is because you have Felipe Dano and you trust him every bit as much in that situation as you do Kopitar. So you've lightened the defensive responsibilities of Kopitar because he was such a great option. And you've given him, you'll be able to give him more offensive zone faceoffs because you don't have to, you know, you can't say, well, he just took three defensive zone faceoffs in a row. I can't put him out there in the offensive zone. Now you're going to have that option. And so I think it's an absolute that he will help players both north and south of him in the lineup. Simple question to uh, to end the episode. I think I know the answer. Did the LA Kings get better by signing Philippe Deneau? They did. Uh, the LA Kings are a better hockey club adding a player like Philippe Deneau and he'll integrate well with the youth. And we watched that in Montreal, you know, and you could say his performance this year, he didn't feel threatened by the presence of Nick Suzuki. He was a pretty good defensive zone player as well. He didn't feel threatened by the presence of, of Kotkaniemi. Uh, I would say Thomas Tatar had a fine regular season, but wasn't even seen in the playoffs. So he lost one of his regular mates and then Gallagher had some injury issues. So, he didn't have him at full strength at all either. And yet he persevered and kept going and, you know, and was, was a really critical part at critical points in games. And as close as I watch the game, you may say, well, he wasn't at his best tonight. And I'd say, well, no, but here are three plays he made during the course of the game that absolutely changed the flow or, you know, changed the way the rest of the third period went after he made this play or that play. He's got an excellent defensive stick. He's in good position all the time. You know, and and that part of being a coach on the ice is something. And I know people get hung up about the money. I, I understand that and the term. And and if you think you can add a player that can help your team and fits in the financial structure of your team, what does it matter if he fits two slots higher than the than the public thinks he should fit? Yep. 
<coughs> excuse me, it doesn't matter. And yet, it's such a fixation with people. Yeah, as long as they uh, can, as long as they can fit him in, and you know, and they're he's not going to be a cap hindrance <clears throat> to the point where they can't add what they have to add. Then why do uh, we're, we're so micro focused because of the information we have in our hands? Cap friendly is the greatest blessing and the greatest curse. I mean, it's such an invaluable tool. I'm on it multiple times a day, same. and you know, you can't not be, and yet you become obsessed with certain players. Because you think, well, he's overpaid or he's overpaid. The value of Philippe Deno will be measured on how the value of the team grows over the next couple of years. In my mind, it's the it's the greatest example of the phrase, uh, a little information is a dangerous thing, right? You get... Absolutely. But it's <laughs> such great information. Oh, no, it is. It's all of those sites, whether it's... I mean, if you're going to surf through or... something... Yeah. Oh, and you know what? I was a finance major in college who grew to just like finance. And... <laughs> Cause it involved too many numbers, like figure sure. that out. And, and, and now I find myself, like if I have a choice of information pages, I'm going to that, I'm going to cap friendly. I just am because it's such a wealth of information and they continue to add and continue to make it better. But if you're going to look at the structure of a team and I employ it, I have a little system. I do three times a year. Basically I do it at the start of the year. I do it at trade deadline. And then I do it for agent frenzy and three times a year I build a book. And incorporate an entire organization into two pages. So I can look at the LA Kings within two pages and tell you everything that I need to know without going to any websites. And, you know, it's kind of the old fashioned layman's notebook, if mm -hmm. you will, <laughs> that I like. And, and by writing it down, I also commit it to memory by writing it down. And Cap Friendly is a huge part of that. But, but when I did LA and I added Deno, and when you're when you're added, by the way, you go in in green highlighter because you're an addition <laughs> versus yellow highlighter or orange highlighter. And and the LA Kings are a better hockey club because there's a new green highlighted name on that roster. Excellent. Well, Dave, we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this. I feel like I could ask you a million questions, but I don't want to take your whole day. Can we have you on later uh, in the coming season after we've all had a chance to recharge our batteries? Absolutely, Jesse. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Good luck with everything and do take some time off out there as well. <laughs>